two or three have gathered together in his name. There he promised to be in the middle of the circle. And there's way more than two or three of us in this room and way more than two or three of us counting all of those folks who were a part of the worship and the study this morning online. And so we're counting on the fact that he is here. He's in this room. He's, he is with us. And as we often say, when he is in the house, anything can happen. When he is in the house, anything can happen. And I'm going to want to prove that to you this morning a little bit. We're going to, we're going to end up in John chapter 5. But on your way to John chapter 5, would you stop off at Luke chapter 18? Gospel of Luke chapter 18. We've been spending some time on the subject, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of Sinners, will you say that back at me, please? Jesus, the friend of sinners. Now we spent some time on one end of the spectrum that Jesus is friends with on this continuum of humanity. Jesus is the friend of hopeless sinners. And by that, I'm referring to those tax gatherers and those sinners, always lumped together, often lumped together in the Scripture, the tax gatherers and the sinners who just kept on gathering to be in the presence of Jesus and to hear what he had to say. The trick to that is, as you've been keeping up with our walk through Jesus and the friend of sinners, the tax gatherers were the equivalent of the morally destitute and the morally despicable in Jesus' day. You can pick out your name for what you would, you would identify as the most morally despicable, the most morally deplorable in our day and you could take that name and everywhere you see tax gatherers in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you can insert your name right into that place. And you'd get the sense. You'd get the meaning. So on one end of the friend of sinners, we have the morally despicable, the, the ones that the religious community, the church-going folks would say, they're hopeless. They're hopeless. There's no hope for them. The, the mercy of God and the love of God and the compassion of God runs out before it ever gets to them. They're hopeless. And yet Jesus found friends. He found friends with hopeless sinners. So every time you open up your New Testament and you find the first book 
in your New Testament. It's going to be the name of a once upon a time tax gatherer, Matthew or Levi. Now, that they were... They, they, were, they were clean sinners. Have you ever met a clean sinner? I mean, they smelled good. They bathed. They, you know, they shaved. They washed. They, they took care of the houses probably. They, they were wealthy. They had lots of stuff. But even that didn't keep the common man, the ordinary man, Jesus, away from their big houses and away from all of their clean sin because he cared about them. He cared about them. He just really cared about them. Luke chapter 18, I want to read this, starting in verse 9. And I want to notice, notice what Luke records and how these words are put together. And Jesus also told this parable, this story, this made-up story to prove a point. Jesus also told this parable to certain ones. Evidently, they were there while he's going to tell the story. To certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So here's his story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. Pharisee, letter of the law, strict observance, never miss a lick, dot every I, cross every T, knows the Bible backwards and forwards. One a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. Jesus continues. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, Jesus said, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner. Not one sinner, the sinner. I tell you, this man, this tax gatherer, went down to his house justified, forgiven, right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So how was the Pharisee in Jesus' story exalting himself? 
How, 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 was, how was the pride inside him piping the tune? How would we know that? It was that he was saying, I thank God. I'm not like these other people. I'm, I'm not this and I don't do that, but I do this, whereas they don't do that. And I'm certainly not like this tax gatherer over here. It was the self-righteous, judging, putting labels on ones and yet not realizing that as far as God is concerned, all our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. So Jesus says, out of the two, out of the two who are hoping to be in fellowship with God or be forgiven, out of the two, one gets forgiven and the other continues right on in his scripture quoting, praise singing, church attending sin. Hmm. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He told that to them. He saw something in certain tax gatherers that he was drawn to. And he was drawn to their humility, their honesty about who they were and what their needs were. Well, you turn a page and go to chapter 19, and here comes another one. Here comes another tax gatherer. Verse 1, when Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich, and he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him, received Jesus gladly. And when they saw it, whoever the they were, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation, rescue, deliverance, forgiveness, freedom has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save 
that which was lost. Jesus, the friend of hopeless sinners. Is there anybody in this room that would say, Pastor, you are looking at somebody who was thought of in the eyes of people who knew me and maybe even within me myself, I thought of myself as being a hopeless sinner. Anybody in the yesterday of your life? Hopeless. Jesus, the friend. You see, a hopeless sinner just isn't going to respond much to rules and regulations and laws because they've already either made the determination, I'm not going to follow them and I don't care what, or I can't follow them, I can't keep them. So to continue to hammer law and hammer you failed and hammer you can't do it and hammer it's going to cost you and hammer you're going to pay, that's, that's not new news to a hopeless sinner. But what's good news to a hopeless sinner is the look in a face and the love flowing out of eyes that's saying, I care about you. It's not over for you. You may think it's hopeless. Others may have judged you as hopeless. But there's nobody hopeless when God moves in. When Jesus engages a soul in his embrace, there is no one hopeless. And we see that again and again and again in the scripture. Jesus, the friend of hopeless sinners. But today I want you to look with me at the other end of that spectrum. Not Jesus, the friend of hopeless sinners, but Jesus, the friend of helpless sinners. Helpless sinners. Now, that's John chapter 5, and I want you to just let me read this story to you, and I'm going to do my best not to interrupt myself with commentary. If I start to do that, somebody just stand up and clear your throat. Maybe I'll come back to my senses. You know, I don't have an outline for this. I don't have three or four points. I don't have a bunch of stories to tell, to illustrate. I'm just, I'm just struck by the story. I don't know how we can improve upon the story of Jesus and this man, 38 years, flat of his back because of what sin had done to him. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos or roofed porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick and blind, lame and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord would come down at certain seasons into the pool and stir up the water. 
Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well, and for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Go back to 14, verse 14. Can I talk a little bit now? Yes. We didn't insert anything. We just, we just read it. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. Jesus was attributing the man's sickness for 38 years to sin that the man had committed. Something he chose to do, something he did 38 years ago resulted in his being devoid of strength, weakness, and bound, captured, captured in the weakness that came about as a result of sin. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Listen carefully. Some are going to say, well, 
that just means that everything that I've ever been through or everything I'm living with right now that is a medical issue is because I've sinned somewhere. And some folks would just really like for you to believe that. Hold your place in John 5. With the other hand, turn over to John chapter 9. I want you to see this. John chapter 9. Because the disciples had thought, evidently, from hearing how Jesus would have addressed this man 38 years flat of his back, that that was the reason for all sickness. But look at chapter 9, verse 1. And as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus would go on to heal the man. Clearly stating that not all sickness is because of the guilt of the carrier of the sickness. You can't always be blamed on that, but folks, bottom line, truth is some sickness, some places where weakness has consumed us, and, and it it, it, it is a word that isn't just to be applied to physical weakness. It can be applied to financial weakness. I'll show you where I'm going with that. Back at verse 3, chapter 5, John 5, verse 3. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick. We use the English word sick, but the original language in the original word, it, it, it is, it, it, it's a word that just means devoid of strength. There's a prefix on the front of the noun, and the noun ordinarily would mean strong, virile, healthy, able, capable. But the prefix on the front of that noun it takes it to the opposite. It means it in the other direction, without strength, devoid of health. But weak, sin has the ability to strip us of strength. It, it was used here and ultimately to mean sickness or disease, but it just basically means devoid of strength. Now, back again at the first of that chapter. Here, here is Jesus coming. More than likely, this was one of the Passovers that he observed in Jerusalem during his earthly life. He comes into Jerusalem, and, and whether he enters at the Sheep Gate or he goes to the Sheep Gate because he knows what happens there is, is, is really beside the point except the fact that he's there. They brought the sheep in. And I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but, but they're, they're typically not, I mean, you know, they, they have to be led, and, and they can stink. Okay? They, 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 can, they can create, just like any livestock, if we're, 
where there held an odor. Sheep Gate was not the most popular gate to enter Jerusalem by. And next to the Sheep Gate was this pool, the Pool of Bethesda. And around the Pool of Bethesda were these porches. And in these porches, it says there was a multitude. Uh, they've used the word multitude when addition doesn't work. They're just, you just multiply it out. The numbers are so great. Packed into this place. This multitude of sick people. Blind and lame and withered listed specifically. But folks, there was no running water. There was no plumbing. There was no nursing staff to change the sheets. So Jesus, on the one hand, is the friend of the clean sinners. I mean, they can be rotten to the core, but they smell good. But he's also the friend of the helpless sinners. stench didn't keep him away. The hopelessness, helplessness didn't keep him away. And the fact that this man, this certain man who doesn't even have a name, at, at, at least Zacchaeus, the tax gatherer, had a name and Matthew had a name. This fellow doesn't even have a name that is recorded in Scripture. He was a face pitiful, sad, lonely face in a crowd. I want you to notice this. The scripture does not record that Jesus moved into Bethesda and the porches and started healing everybody. As they would come to him he would touch him, as he did in so many other places, so many other times. This is one of the unique places where Jesus is described as going to a place in the middle of sick people. Hundreds, if not thousands of other sick people, and he only heals one. Certain man, unknown to John, but known to Jesus, for 38 years, there'd been no Jesus, and there'd been no change in the power of sin to control him. I can't help it. I just get a little excited thinking about that. The Savior who has the power to rescue sinners from the consequences of their sin, when he comes, when he makes his presence known, when he wraps his nail-scarred hands and arms around the soul, the consequences of sin that have shackled a man or a woman or even a family line can be broken and the captives set free because the captivity was tied to the man's sin. Let me show you a verse you need to also know is in your Bible. Many of this won't be a strange one. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and this is written to believers. 
This is written to Christians. Paul says in verse 26, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and yet do not sin. In other words, there's a righteous kind of anger. There's a kind of anger that does not grieve God. God Jesus grew angry and he cleansed the temple. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. This is written to believers. This, this is not pagans. This is not unbelievers. This is written to believers. This is why this thing of, of, of sin being carried in the life of a person, an agreement with the enemy of God more than agreement with God is a dangerous thing to do because what he says here is that you, by doing that, you let the sun go down on your wrath. You let the sun go down on the unconfessed sin in your life, and what you're doing is you're handing a place in you to Satan. Some folks say, oh, believers, believers can't be possessed by the devil. Well, the word possessed isn't the word. The word is demonized, harassed, and you bet believers can do. Believers can give the enemy the ability, freedom to wreak havoc in their lives just because there's a part of my life that is in agreement with myself or with Satan's preferences rather than in agreement with God. So Paul is saying you, you don't do that. You, you don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't live with sin. Don't, don't live with it working in you. Not that we won't ever sin, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John 1, 9, we may have to quote that a million times, but we can't ever wear it out, folks. You can't ever wear that verse out. But when we choose not to give it up, when we choose not to call it what God calls it, sin, missing the mark. God has a, here's the target. Here's the, it's, it's an archery. So you, you miss the mark. But when, when Jesus would say, don't, don't sin anymore, don't sin, he, he's not expecting the man never to commit a sin, but he's saying don't stay in the place of sin anymore. When you, when, you, when you fail, you confess it. You turn away from it, but don't live there anymore. Don't live in that place lest something worse befall you. I mean, 38 years, don't you reckon that got his attention? 38 years flat of his back. Sin had cost him 38 years. Sin had imprisoned him for 38 years. I think it's interesting too to note that Jesus didn't say, okay, you go get baptized and then we can talk. You go memorize the book of Deuteronomy and then we can visit. You show up again at the synagogue that you used to go and, and, and then come to me and we'll visit. Good news. Jesus sets unrepentant, helpless sinners free. 
The man never said he was sorry for a thing. He didn't even know Jesus' name. He couldn't couldn't confess, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, and on the basis of that, he gets forgiveness, and on the basis of that, he gets his health back. He didn't even know Jesus. First time he'd ever seen him. I know, I was like... And what, what you got to hear is not, not the ignorance of the man, but the heart of the Savior, church. The heart of the Savior. He knew the man was trapped and more than likely trapped by things he didn't understand the cause and effect for. Jesus healed first and explained later. I love our Lord like that. How many times has he... Has he just blessed you, rescued you, didn't give you what you were deserving, and then explained it to you later? Here's where you were. Nothing was hidden from heaven. I brought you out. I rescued you. And here's how I did it. By the power of my blood, by the authority of my name, name you used to cuss, but it's the power of my name that sets you free. Jesus, the friend of helpless sinners. Now, I don't know if there's anybody like that right now, listening to me. We've got some mighty, powerful, redemptive stories in the rearview mirror. Folks sitting around, that's why I look out at you and I look at this crowd. I think if some of you knew who you were sitting next to, you might want to get up and move. (laughs) Because of what, I mean, we clean up, don't we? We clean up, we dress up nice. but, But God didn't turn his back on me because I was living in filth, moral or otherwise. My position that sin had put me in, had caused me to be in, was not something that restricted him from reaching out to me. Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? Now, that, that sounds like a, almost a, a, a cold kind of a question. You, you'd think that the, the answer would be obvious. Well, of course I want to get well. But here's what I believe the Lord wanted to show him. The Lord wanted to show him the difference between what he had been trusting in And it's power to do nothing for him to be contrasted by the power of heaven poured out in molten love to rescue him. So he immediately kicks into this explanation why I can't get to the water quick enough. I don't have anybody to carry me. And when I'm on my way, somebody gets there first and they get the healing. But you know what? If he didn't have some kind of hope, some kind of wish, some kind of longing 
that maybe one day he would get there and maybe one day God would bless him in that way and one day he would be free. If he hadn't somehow had that working, he might have just moved on to some other part of the landscape rather than staying in a place where it was told that God comes. And God touches people here. <laughs> it seemed like he wanted to get as close to where the power of God might be as he could. So there was something inside him. I want to say, and I hope it's not reading too much into the text, something inside him that hadn't given up on God, hadn't been helpless, but still hoping, helpless, but still longing. He gave gave us an explanation that would make sense, and then Jesus just does something for him, no, not telling him what's about to happen, not requiring anything out of him, not, not telling him first you need to repent of your sin and then you get your healing. He just hauled off and just blessed that man with, with a healing. Sinner and all, poor and all, helpless to the bone, but heaven stopped. Heaven came to Bethesda. And heaven came to that certain man. Mm. That certain man. I, I, I pray somebody's hearing this. And maybe you've been 38 years locked down and imprisoned by the consequences of something you did four decades ago. And you give all the explanations as to why things haven't changed But Jesus, friend, 38 years without Jesus, five minutes with Jesus. You say, well, I don't know about this physical thing. Well, some of the greatest places of imprisonment and loss and weakness are not physical. It can be, certainly. But you know, there are, there are folks sitting in this room listening to me this morning. There was a time in your life when because of some things that you did, you lost relationship with children. You lost relationship with, with, with ones who you knew really cared about you, but, but what you did broke them. It cut deep into them. Some of you, because of what you what you did, your integrity was shot. And you've lived with the consequences of a bad name, of broken trust. I just want to, would you please hear this? What if today from this passage, the Lord is looking into your place. And you may know the Lord. It's not that you haven't given your heart to Christ. Maybe you have known Christ. But there's been this place that it's the direct result of something that you did that has caused there to be weakness in these areas or loss in these areas of your life. What if Jesus is saying to you, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And then we, well, but I did this and 
this has happened and these other things have gone on and in this room and some not in this room are ones who had no relationship with the bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh, their own children because of what they've done. But then the point in time came where the, the one imprisoned by that weakness and the loss turns the heart to Jesus, not religion, not trying to show up back in some former set of rules and tradition, but just turn to Jesus to say, Lord, I want to be well. I want to be well. I've got all these reasons why it won't happen, why it can't happen. But Lord, I want to be made. Yes. My answer to the question, Lord, is yes. Yes, I want to be made whole. And I'm telling you, I could ask some folks to stand or you to stand in this room and there would be several hundred who would get up on your feet and you would be able to declare as your witness, as your testimony in the places where I thought I would never see any restoration. Or there could never be any change in relationships or name or whatever it was that the loss was because of sin. Now that Jesus has dealt with your sin, you've found forgiveness in him for your sin, then he starts working by his power to alleviate the consequences of sin in the other areas of your life. And he's so good at it. He's so good at it. He said, I came to seek and to save, to rescue, to deliver, to set free, to make new because of the change. I've come to rescue, to save that which was lost. It's Jesus, folks. Listen, it's just Jesus. It, now, now, now the, the rest of that for, for, for Christians. If, if the spirit of Jesus is alive with power inside us, then we are going to be having that same kind of generator going off inside us to seek and to save, to rescue that which is lost. We can't save, but we can speak the name. We can represent the person. We can tell the story of what he has done and is doing in us. We've got permission to go to the sheep gate. We've got permission to get down in the dirt of the porticos of Bethesda. And we've got permission to have dinner with the tax collector. Jesus, the friend of sinner, 
alive in you is going to take us to where sinners are. Not, not as if we've gotten it all straight now. We're clean. We're, we're pure. We got, it, we got it figured out. Nope. We go as one great big rescued sinner to deliver some good news to some other sinners. That righteousness from head to toe, from inside to out, from the way that we live and the way we talk and we react, that isn't fully our experience until glory, until heaven. Down here, we're pilgrims. Down here, we're struggling. Down here, there's a war between the old man and the new man, between the spirit and the flesh. Some days chickens, some days feathers. Am I in here by myself on that? The word is true. If we confess our sins, our sins, Christian sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins, our sins. I'm not worried about their sins. I got a big bunch of them that I'm needing to deal with. He forgives of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we go as one sinner washed in the blood, filled with the spirit of a loving Savior. And we just go out there and we have permission for relationships. We have permission to spend time. We have permission to cruise right on past what might seem to be the ethnic codes and the so forth of our day. All right, Alamo City men, I need you to help me with the wrap-up of this message. So, brothers, just stand up. Please put one foot in front of the other and make your way down here. And we're going to, Rick, if you'll bring the folks back up here. Now, you know, we're, again, we're, we're standing shoulder to shoulder as brothers, not, not as perfect men, not as the best example of, of everything in our lives. Come on, just get on as close as you can. But, but we're, we're here as men Amen. among ladies who would know us and families who would know us. We're, we're, we're here as men who, who just shouted in our spirits. And my only hope is in Jesus. And that, that his, his blood has been what has made the difference in my life. I want you to grab, find somebody you can stand close to the neck to to lean on. Grab, a, grab the whole rod. Ladies, why don't you stand too? We'll, we'll allow you to stand. And, but guys, no, no, listen, notes are not important. Key is not important. Volume is important, all right? Volume, we can do volume, right? We can do volume. But just if you, don't, if you don't know the tune, just read the word out loud. If this hits you, declare it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Jesus, the friend of sinners, a chance to start over, a chance to start over, a chance to start over. Amen. Rick, help us. Words up here. I've been held by the Savior. Amen. Sing it, brothers. I've been down from above. Been down to the river. I've been down to the river 
I ain't the same. I hate to say. I ain't to say. A prodigal return. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I'm not going back. I'm not going not back. back. I'll never be the same. Oh, that's why I sing. our assignment as we as we leave this place would you just pray and we pray for each other Lord will you will you take me send me to somebody who needs to know the real Jesus I don't want you inviting them to church that's on down the line I I'm probably some of my 
pastoral brothers are going to send me something about that. The church can't save anybody. The church can't save anybody. It doesn't matter the title. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And that, that, he will, that he will give you the opportunity to speak a kind word. He'll give you the chance to cultivate a relationship, a friendship. And you'll know inside you when it's time to say something. You'll know. It'll go off inside you. But now's the time to tell them. Not what they ought to do, but what's happened to you. What's happened to me. We're all a work in progress. Anybody not a work in progress? I, you know, then we need to wheel your casket right out here. We'll just go ahead and, go ahead and have the funeral. We're a work in progress. So it's not, it's not telling people how to be perfect, but it's just saying it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And he's different than religion. He's real. And he loves you. And I know he loves you because I believe he loves me. To be able to say that, he loves me. But what, what he did to get to help me was, was not to fuss at me. I, 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 knew, I knew I'd messed up. But I needed to hear that there was, there was hope because God still loved me. I believe he'll, it may even be, you know, we go get something to eat when we get done here. There may be somebody, I'm going to tell you, when you get to praying like that, you, you lose track of what you ordered on your menu. You, you forget what you paid or what they asked for. You just, you just, your spirit, you just get connected. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners, brothers and sisters. And if we go in his name, if we are sent as he was sent, then we're going to be engaged, not after we get all of our stuff put together, but even as we're trusting him to heal us and to carry us through and to help us figure things out. He's the healer of broken hearts. Lord, I thank you for this time in your presence today. I thank you. Just started out strong. We just right off the bat just felt you in the house. Thank you for these moments. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, would you use us? Would you empower us? Would you let us be a blessing to people? That the Jesus in us expresses his friendship with sinners through us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.